10 seconds to fire it. again for another day of Kicking Favorites podcast here at the Earwolf Studios in beautiful Hollywood, California. Uh, today was a, another day of uh, just a few of us here in-house because of uh, our big movie star compatriots who cannot be here right now. Tyler is in Atlanta doing an amazing film. Uh, Zachary is in Toronto beginning the new Heroes franchise, which is oh, going to be yeah. amazing. It's going to be really fun. Excited about that. So today you got uh, David... Kentucky, America, 17 name Coleman mm-hmm. with uh, Mr. Razzle. Hi. Hi, guys. I'm back. Razzle's back. Thank God. We missed him a lot last week. Um, wanted to make sure we also say that, David, uh, today we have a great guest, good friend of mine, um, great friend of actually Zach and myself, known him for a lot of years. He's the only friend I have that has two Grammys. Uh, and he's got songs on records with over 60 million sold. Um, amazing friend, great father, amazing songwriter, Mr. David Hodges. All right. It's good, good to, to be here. Did yeah. I, did, I pronounce, did I pronounce that right? Was it Hodges? <laughs> yes. All there. All there. Solid. Good to be here. Thanks, man. I appreciate you coming in. We're uh, going to do a musical episode today. If you've seen the, uh, obviously, if you clicked on the link, you saw the three topics, and we're going to get into some of our favorite songs from some of the biggest bands of all time, which is mm-hmm. pretty awesome. Um, and we'll get into that soon. But first, I want to talk a little bit to Dave. I think Dave has a really interesting story. Um, I know when I heard it the first time, I was like, wow, this is crazy on how your life can go in directions that you never really see. When what, That was probably close to 10 years 10 ago. 10 years now. ago, I think. I mean, it was before Abigail, before your daughter was born. Right. Um, right. But maybe 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 eight, eight or nine years. Yeah, yeah a so while. Right. A while. Um, but Dave, tell us a little bit about, I mean, I was going to say he's the pride of Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, I mean, as opposed to like Bill Clinton. Little Rock does have a... Uh, uh, an American Idol winner, Chris Allen. So I oh, feel they like do. I'm That's like right. Number. I uh, yeah, but I'm gonna. S- I'm in the high teens. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say this, <laughs> and it's probably not gonna be. And I know you worked with Chris Allen and like him very right. much. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anyone knows who Chris Allen is right now. But he he's got a winning smile. He's a gorgeous guy. I mean, <laughs> I really liked him. But you know what I'm saying? Like he was great. Again, I think American Idol has this weird, and you have obviously worked with a lot of people from American Idol, which is great. I mean, we can get into that too. Um, but I'm going to stick with it. You're the pride of Little Rock. All right, oh, man. I I would wear a T-shirt that says that. I'll make it. it. We'll make it for you. <laughs> but you got to put like a lion on it, like the lion's pride. I like that. Oh, that's good. Like here's face on a lion. And he's, wearing, lion. he's wearing. Oh yeah. Wearing oh, that's the uh, the shirt. Dude. The Stockland. Yeah. Like the Stockland shirt. Yeah. And then put some triangles so people think he's a Freemason in the park. <gasps> uh, Ooh, I like this. This is good. Yeah, Razzle's putting all these things. He sends me these weird pictures. He's like, can you make this on a T-shirt? Yeah, I'm did like, you make my Biff Tannen one I yet? can't make it because it's too small. But I, told I you. emailed you the You did, the but I have to make it. I have to make it. But again, the files are small. I, I want I him to, to make me a shirt. I made up a fake shirt. I'll, I'll show you in a minute. Uh, for uh, Biff Tannen and the uh, not Biff Tannen, it's Buford Tannen and the Mad Dogs. <laughs> and what I did is I took a I took a old Ted Nugent T shirt with him like wailing and it's like nice, you know, because uh, off uh, obviously you know, and uh, and then I put Buford Tannen's face on it from Back to the Future, and I made it like into a fake rock band, Buford Tannen and the Mad Dogs, and I want that as a shirt. And then I also want you to put the words Michael Keaton on a shirt because Michael Keaton's awesome. I think just just I Michael just Keaton, Michael just Keaton. block letter, just block letters, Michael Keaton. We can do both those things. Anyways, back to your life. Back to Pride of, of Arkansas. Pride of Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay. Dave, tell us a little bit about how you got started in the music business. Um, I started writing songs as a in, in high school and had this dream of being a uh, Christian music artist and moved to Nashville in 99. So when I was in college, I moved to Nashville and I got to Nashville and I was scared to death because everyone there was better at all the things that I thought that I was good at. Better piano players, better songwriters, more connected, better singers. 
And so, like any good musician, I dropped out of college <laughs> and moved back home and joined a rock band. And, and that, that rock band was? Then that band was Evanescence. About a year later, we got a record deal. We moved out to L.A., and, and I've, been, I've kind of been here ever since. How long? What, what year did you move out here? I moved out here um, Memorial Day of 2001. I think you and I moved wow, out really soon. Wow, we did, because really I moved close. out here in August of 2001. Yeah. Like, it was literally like, yeah, right around the same time. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, 2001, and we lived out here for a couple of years, and then we made our the Evanescence record. And I remember Ben and I, as we were mixing the album, thinking <clears throat> we were different than a lot of other rock bands, where most rock bands will, they kind of write songs in the rehearsal space, and then they go play clubs around town and get response from the fans of what songs they like, what songs they don't like. They start to build a kind of a following. For us, we never played live because it was a it was a singer, a guitar player, and a keyboard player. Like the worst <laughs> set of three that you would have for a rock band. So we needed a bass player, we needed a drummer, and we right. didn't have any money or any friends. So um, no, really, we That's had no, no friends. So Wait, you had a record deal and no money? We ha- Well, this is the misnomer of record deals. And this is, again, 2000. One, One, yeah. Right. We we had a little bit of money. But what then label we had, were you on? Hmm? What label were you on? Wind Up Records. Oh, okay. Which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wind Up Records was Creed. It's kind of their yeah, only other. Yeah, what's his name? Uh, I'm trying to think of the dude who was on that. Uh, the, the A&R guy for that. What was his name again? Victor Murgatroyd. Okay, I'm thinking of a different guy. <laughs> Mur- Literally. Of, no. Murgatroyd. Then I'm thinking of, I must be thinking of Creed's management then. Uh, oh, yeah. I used to be in a band, and we used to, I used to go to, there was uh Couple of the, Florida Orlando had a music festival over oh, there. Oh yeah, and all those guys would like go there. Oh, because of the Creed, yeah, yeah. Like Jason Flom and all that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. What a small world. That's funny. Yeah. So anyway, we did that for a couple of years, and I remember, yeah. So we're finishing up the album, and I knew that we liked it, and we had you know a handful of friends back home that seemed to like it, but I had no idea that that many people would gravitate toward it. I mean, literally, every band says this, but we really had no feedback of like, oh, this is kind of all right. It's like, we're just kind of making music. But Evanescence had a bit of that still Christian, like I remember when I first came out, because we didn't know each other when you were were in the band. And so I remember when that record came out and people were like, oh, this is the like Christian pop rock version of Christian music. You know what I mean? Well, okay. The truth of that is... Twofold. We were all kids who grew up in Southern Baptist world. We grew up in Little Rock. And I think we all three have different perspectives on religion now because of growing up in that space. But we were, I think, asking a lot of questions and confused by a lot of things, and that seeped into a lot of our music. Amy wrote most of the lyrics of the band, so a lot of that questioning, I think, is attributed to her. And I think she's a brilliant lyricist for it, too. Um, But the label um, was a bunch of a bunch of guys in New York who didn't really understand Christian culture at all, but said, oh, this is an avenue to where we could start the band off. And and because of Creed's kind of pseudo-connection Yeah, to Creed has a bit of that Christianity thing too, yeah. Other bands there, they thought, well, you guys will be a Christian band. And I remember sitting in many meetings with them saying, this will backfire, this will be bad, you don't want to do this, we're not a Christian band. Um, they're like, yeah, hey, yeah, that's great, whatever. So for the first probably six months, they marketed... Evanescence is a Christian band. It was in Christian bookstores and all that stuff. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Next to Jars of Clay? Right. Exactly. And that, <clears throat> and then it backfired as it as it should have because I think Ben, specifically in some interview with Entertainment Weekly or something, said some awful, <laughs> awful blasphemous things. He's like, I'll get <laughs> rid purpose, of this. On oh, purpose? On purpose, yeah. 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 And, uh, and, the, and the head of the label at the time called Ben up and he said, you'll be working at Taco Bell in six months from now. I'm going to ruin your career. And <laughs> No way. It's fantastic. And the record was already out. Record was already out and it was already doing its thing. But hadn't really caught on yet. Had it caught on before Ben said that? Yes. It was already, I mean, it was a, the album was weird in in two two ways. One that in the first, and these numbers are kind of skewed because records don't sell the same now that they used to. But in the first week that it came out, a debut rock band that had had nothing leading up to it. It sold like 180,000 units in the first week, something like that. It was a platinum record, so it had sold a million copies within the first six or seven weeks and then just continued to stay on the charts for another two years or so. So it so it kind of ran from the beginning. And again, like we just didn't have any barometer to tell like, oh, this is really good or this is a terrible album. So... 
it was very strange in that regard. And honestly, the head of the label should have known. Like, you can't make those threats to one of your artists yeah. when they're going to be the breadwinner for the company right. for the next few years. But Did works. he think that? I mean, do you think he, the executive at the label thought that that was what was going to happen? Like, you guys were going to... How many, how many records did Evanescence sell? Um, I think to date that album has sold about 18 million copies. Jeez. That's insane. The weirdest part of it to me is uh, my wife and I were in India about six or seven years ago. Southern India, not even in Mumbai or Delhi, but in southern India in the smaller kind of town. In India, it was a million people, but still, that's a small town in India. Yeah, right. <clears throat> and they had a uh, a record shop there. And almost all of it was local music. But in the very back of the record shop, they had probably about 30 Western CDs from Western artists. And I was flipping through, just kind of fascinated by Slippery When Wet was one of the albums. Of course it was, yeah. Madonna record. And then one of those albums was Evanescence. And I was like, how in the world did these songs that we wrote in a little practice space make it all the way around the world to this little, to this town in southern India? Like, that's nuts. My mom... Um, was on a trip and she heard, I think she was in Hawaii or something, and she was in like a t-shirt shop and she heard our song on the radio. And that was her way of knowing like, they, you they, made, they it. made it, David, yeah. it's happening. Yeah. It's like, mom, we've sold like a million and a half records by now. We, right. Yes, of course we've made it. But, yeah, we're but doing okay now. We're, it's we're, those we're little it. weird moments that you're like, oh, this is not a prank that someone's playing on me. This is, people actually like this record, so... Yeah. And you ever? I, I, we're going to get to it. We're going to do one of the topics uh, here in a second. Then, then we're going to talk a little bit more about Evanescence and okay. the whole like trajectory of your career <laughs> yeah. from what happened with Evanescence to who you've worked with beyond that, and how kind of you know how things work out in ways that you don't ever really prepare for. Right. So, Razzle. Yeah. I just want to make sure you're still here. I'm like, still here. <laughs> I'm still anybody? here. Ra- Hello. I'm just listening. Stiller. I'm just listening and periscoping and listening. Yeah, and periscoping. I mean, it's it's you know I, that's I mean that's. I think I, like, I I always say this. I was like, my buddy Dave Hodges is the most successful songwriter that you've never heard of. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. No, I'm serious. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know many people who could say that they've been on 60 million records. Yeah. Who you don't know who who they right. are unless they're because that doesn't happen most of the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. guys who are in bands for a long time. Yeah, my, you can accumulate that kind of numbers, but when you like. Write a song with this guy, and he does five million record sales. Yeah. And you write a song with this girl, and she does six, and then four, and ten, yeah. and twelve. You know, it's like all those things kind of accumulate quickly, and you're like, ten, ten years, sixty million records. Yeah, it's it's a wild. It's run. crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Which brings us to one of our first topic, which is probably one of the greatest bands of all time. Yeah, um, I think everyone can agree. And if you don't like the Beatles, immediately turn off the podcast. <laughs> You've done something you, wrong yeah, in your life. Yeah, somebody yeah. has destroyed your hope. In your heart uh, and all sense of taste. So, and I'm going to get, you know, people are like, oh, I don't like the Beatles because of this. I'm like, yeah, you're wrong. You're for, wrong. for the devil's advocate, the Beatles are the most celebrated band of all time, too. Yeah, they've also That's sold true. the most of all time. Have they? Yeah. That's, that probably, that makes sense. Razzle's a factor, a fact I like that. checker. Um, <clears throat> So for those out there that are like, man, I hear uh, about the Beatles all the time and I don't totally get it, you can at least appreciate they were an amazing band. Oh, yeah. But they do they do get lauded quite a bit. I'm not yeah. sure what lauded means, but I feel like that happens to them. Yeah. Yeah. From lauded, lauded, lauded. Lauded. I don't know the definition. But Make it louder. It's either a good Lousen. thing or a bad thing, right? Lauded. Like. It's- Seems lauded, good. yeah. A, I think that seems like a thing, yeah. Right. So we start with the Beatles right out of the yeah, gate, huh? Right out. Of yeah, the I want to start with the Beatles. So guys, we're gonna do our favorite Beatles, Beatles song, favorite Beatles um, song of all time. That was in stereo. I like yeah. that. Yeah, it's good. We're gonna was pan him. We're gonna mm-hmm. pan, yeah, pan him. <laughs> I feel like sitting at the table. Yeah, it should yeah. be that. Like right. Yes, yeah, left, right, center. So uh, as our as our guest, you mm-hmm. always get to go first. Okay. okay, David Hodges, favorite Beatles song of all time. Well. This is obviously hard to narrow down. Um, another part of the Beatles that's fascinating is that they, I mean, their first record came out in, what, 62, and they were broken up by 1970. Uh, unlike the other two bands on this list, in eight years they packed in so much earth-shattering, amazing music. Yeah. But I remember sitting in my buddy John Reynolds' um, Chevy Tahoe, and I was a soft. I was a junior in high school, and we were listening to records. And he played me "A Day in the Life," and I remember it just kind of blowing my mind. 
because it was like it was almost like Radiohead, Paranoid Android, where it's like three great songs all mashed in together. A Day in the Life was like these two awesome ideas for songs, and then this weird cacophony of music and craziness yeah. around it. And I, I think that song has always stuck with me. Obviously, there's so many amazing songs, but I think A Day in the Life is probably my favorite Beatles song. That's a good one. That's and, a song that really funny, as I don't really know that well. I don't really know that really? song that well. It's such a weird thing. Like, I was looking up like top Beatles Woke songs up, of all time. Get out like, of bed. Yep. Oh, no. I totally know that song. Yeah, I don't know why I thought I just said but that. But it's because the name of it, it doesn't... It doesn't sound like... Because I, I have heard that song a lot, and now I sound like an idiot for not saying it. No, but that's, that's how it is with these old ones. Though. Yeah. Oh, and it just so goes... Good. Yeah, it goes totally... And it also is one of those songs, a little added bonus, where it feels like you're doing drugs, and you don't yeah. even have to be doing drugs. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, that's boring. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Don't, I'm kidding, don't do kids. Drugs. Don't, don't do, do drugs. Drugs, drugs are terrible. bad. Drugs are bad. The Friday okay. thing. You don't drugs are bad. Okay. It's the uh, A Day in the Life is the final song on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It is. Um, and it's also ranked as the number one Beatles song of all time, I think, yeah. at Rolling Stone. Well, Stone. that's boring. Oh, really? Is it, it is. But that's, that's okay. Funny. You didn't know that, which is interesting that you did it that And huh. here's the thing. It's uh, how most of the Beatles songs were, you know, Lennon, McCartney. Right. Um, this is distinct. Uh, compri- it's uh, distinct sections written by independently. No way. So the the song is they. It's a, a Lennon McCartney you know construct, but the, it was uh, together independently. So the the sections right. of the songs were written separately by uh, Lennon and by Paul McCartney. That's wild. Oh, and I wow. Got, I got a Paul McCartney like story. in vitro fertilization. Really, it's like an in yeah, vitro okay. fertilization. Yeah. So writing. so McCartney put a little bit in Lennon, yeah. and they had a baby, and it's yeah. a day in the life. I do like saying? that you picked the male and female parts of it. Yeah, a uh, nice little case study with your friends having a dinner, a couple's dinner one time, seeing which who relates to what Beatle the most. Oh, because that's interesting. Okay, like okay. a Paul person, I feel like has a a logical construct of the world. They think that there is a sense of like order to to it all. Uh, Lennon is like the anti-establishment person. I think George, if you're a George fan, and I, I got a lot of love for the George fans yeah. out there. They're the real mystics, I think. Um, and if you're a Ringo fan, you're lying to yourself. But right. <laughs> Did no one say Ringo? And I would, I would feel bad. I would go, I really like Ringo. <laughs> I really like love, Ringo Starr. Peace and love. Peace and love. He's like the luckiest peace drummer ever. Exactly. Peace and yeah. love. Next to Michael Anthony, who's the luckiest <laughs> bass player ever. Wait. No, no, don't even listen. We're not even going to talk about how Michael Anthony is not good. Michael Anthony is awesome. Bring back Michael Anthony and his flying Jack Daniels bass. Who's Michael Anthony? Van Halen. Oh, okay, dude, okay. listen. Michael Anthony's like <laughs> harmonies and backup vocals make Van Halen. So I mean, that's like, a bold. Oh statement. wow, I'm stopping <laughs> the periscope listen, right now because listen, of that statement. Listen, no, it's a very true thing. Like, look, um, you have. I'm a huge Van Halen fan, and I'm right. excited that they're going. They're back coming back in October. Yeah, I saw them a few years ago. Yeah. I saw them like six and years ago. I'm going to go see them, and I'm going to weep that they're not in their prime. But I'm still right. going to go see them. Uh, now, uh, Van Halen is, in my opinion, Edward Van Halen, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Anthony, David Lee Roth, mm-hmm. and Sammy Hagar. Oh, I don't care about the drummer, his brothers, and you can put any good drummer. Huh? In wait, there. wait, wait, wait! You, you can't David? take Alex Van Halen sure out of can. Van Halen. You yeah, cannot. You can. you well, cannot. you can't take Michael Anthony and replace yes, him with you Wolfgang. Can. Put Wolfgang on the drums then, and anything, and bring back Michael Anthony's backup vocals. Did you say David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar? Yeah, they're two different bands, but they're completely they, different. Bands. Sammy Hagar sold more, uh, had more number one hits and more number one albums with uh, Van Halen than David Lee Roth did. I have a lot of love for they're Van Hagar. Two they're yeah. two different bands. They, they are. are two different Tommy bands. Tommy Van Halen. <laughs> and it's a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty badass no, move to have the band named after the guitar player. Absolutely. I mean, like Bon Jovi, we get it. Yeah. But like Van Halen, badass move. Yeah. Right. <laughs> badass move. Yeah. Uh, Razzle, what is your favorite Beatles song? Help. Oh, again. Help. These I, are really hard I, to go I, I mean, wrong, man. You're not going to go It's really wrong. hard to go. Like when we when when we got this topic, I'm like, oh, help! Uh, then I had to second guess it because yeah. there's so many good Beatles songs. It was either uh, you know there's there's also the one about the dead nun, you know, you know, and that's a good one too. <laughs> I don't know uh, that Eleanor one. Rigby. I just there's oh, so yeah, many dead one. nun songs that I love. It's hard to <laughs> huge live. fan. What's your uh, next week's episode favorite dead nun song? <laughs> I don't, Hmm. Dave, we're gonna write. Uh, we're gonna write. We're gonna write uh, one this week. We're gonna write one this week. A rock opera. <laughs> we're gonna write an album entirely comprised of Dead Nun songs. <laughs> I'm ready. I will do that. With I you. believe you can do it. I, I'll uh, learn to play the organ. I, I feel will, like uh, organ should be in a Dead Nun song. Yeah, I think we should. I, we'll we gotta do, find an old church that's we'll got an EP. old organ that's been we'll there for 150 split, years. We'll do a split EP with Flyleaf and make a put it in all the Christian stores. 
Dead Nuns yes. Collective. I mean, um, oh, the Dead um, Nun Society. <laughs> this is gonna be great. This is terrible. Sorry, we do not want any nuns to die. That's yeah. terribly not funny. This is super. Yeah. Um, it's a really yeah, gothy moment it? we're having. It kind of is. Like, so, yeah, it's, uh, but helps. Great song. Um, I'm, what's the? I'm trying to think that uh, baby got back. Unless you got dead nuns, son. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> You ain't got buns unless you got dead nuns, son. That's awesome. Wow. So stupid. But anyways, Help. I love Help because it it, it reminds me of like uh, Beach Boy songs. I'm a huge fan of Beach Boys yep. also. And Help, you have – it's 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 almost like, like A Day in the Life. Oh, there's two distinct parts. But there's the harmonies to where – when Lennon is singing, I, I believe it's Lennon singing the lyrics or the for the chorus. You got like uh, the other people singing that. When I was younger, so much younger than today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never needed anybody's help in any way. And then while he's doing that, he's singing the words. And then you got now our days are gone. You got all the layered vocals of different words. Yeah. That in the end form a Voltron of the actual lyrics. Do you know what I mean? We have to, he has to weave in Voltron because in every a, episode is like, because it's a verb because yeah. Voltron is a verb. It is. <laughs> it I vol- he Voltron it. it. Yeah, yeah. My production company is going to be Comedy Voltron unless they TM'd Voltron. This but, is great. Uh, I'm pretty sure they've TM Voltron. But if I can prefix it, I'll prefix it and I'll make it a one word. I'm pretty sure at this point it's an R. Yeah. I'll make it a it's one a word. It's a registered thing. It's a registered thing. Voltron. R. But uh, yeah, help, help is such a good song. Yeah. It is and, a great song. And for the young kids out there, they are the first multi-tracking band. Like they, yes. So it wasn't even like let's record the sound of our band and maybe be able to tweak the parts even better. It's like they started thinking about creating art on a multi-tracking format because that kind of stuff you wouldn't even think about writing these multiple layered parts on top. Of it. And that's why they stopped touring because it was yeah. like it was too we hard. Can't, to, uh, how are we gonna? It do was this? like Jennifer Lopez stopped. You know, never because you can't actually play all that live. Totally the same. Yeah, totally the same. <laughs> We are going to get more comments about that statement than we <laughs> well, do about well, like, than we do about to, like the really terrible like. Because I used to always like like I would I'll, I love trolling people and when people you know when there are great Beatles fans you know it's they're always mm-hmm. like oh they're the best band ever and it's like well they stopped touring because they couldn't perform live, right. which is and I mean it's factual because but they it's, wrote innovative because music they wrote that they couldn't way do too like, innovative they were right. ahead of their time technologically yes. and right? they yes and they didn't want to settle I mean. Honestly, this is what I've part of the the benefit of what my job is now, as opposed to what it would have been staying with Evanescence. Is like uh, playing concerts is performance art, but I like the idea of being a painter and working on the thing until it's finished, yeah. and then you present it to the world. That's what the album is. It's a painting. I, I don't want to stand up on stage and yeah. put paint on a canvas. You, you, I don't want to sketch something and then have everybody go, like, man, that sketch yeah. sucks. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. Last night I was a lot better. I'm really drunk right yeah, now, guys. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. really drunk. Okay, So there's, I don't know, I think that there's something kind of cool of like, you know what, this, the white album stands on its own. Put some headphones on. You don't need to yeah. go see us. Yeah. Although it's a little bit sad. <laughs> it is sad. Because it would have been awesome I mean, to see. It would have been awesome to see. Revolver. Uh, Better revolver. Oh, nah. <laughs> um, so, so my favorite yes, song. I'm going to do a little, Dave, uh, what's little your favorite Beatles song? We'll put it in a little bit here. Oh, I didn't know we could play songs. We I'll can. Play. I could put a little bit in. Uh, yeah, I'll put a little bit. It's for knowledge purposes. Yeah. yeah for, it's we'll for, listen to the all two minutes and ten seconds of help then for knowledge purposes. Solid. <laughs> nope. Is it? Let it be. Well, oh, solid. Oh, I, I'll tell you a story about Paul McCartney. I mean, it's just about loss and trust and faith. And it's all those things. It's like, you got, hey, man. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to, and cliche to say, you just got to let it be. Like, no, it's cool. Fi- you're going to figure it out. Um, and I think it's so funny. Like, a lot of the songs I was thinking about for our thing today are that way in my... Really? Yeah. It's a it's a weird, like, I have I definitely have a genre of music that I think is, even for every band that has songs that kind of sound similar. Yeah. They all have a, a theme that are, it's weird, like completely different bands, like Beatles, U2, Aerosmith, very different bands. Yeah. But the likes, my favorite of those bands all have very similar huh. sounds. It's weird. It's yeah. weird. But I think Let It Be is one of the best ones. I mean, you know, being the oldest gentleman in the room, uh, I like that. as I always have to. The venerable sure patriarch yeah, of the, the room. The veteran, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I'm always. Came to Paul McCartney in a dream, supposedly. Really? really? Let it be, yeah. He wrote it, like, or am I thinking of yesterday? One of those. Oh, I think maybe yesterday. Yesterday. But both those songs are great. You yeah. know what's funny? <clears throat> Most people nowadays probably have only heard Hey Jude because right. of that little uh, Asian kid that plays the guitar. 
I don't even Do you guys know remember him. that? No. Like he, he was like, I, I think it has like something crazy, 40 million, 50 million hits huh. of a little like four year old playing guitar singing Hey Jude. It's hilarious. And Shannon Fox will put it up on her That's uh, really funny. board so everybody can see it. It's a great, but it's super cute. It's like a little kid just right. like playing the playing like a guitar, a little tiny guitar, just like strumming it and, and singing the song. Let so. It Be is the 12th and final studio album by the Beatles. Hmm. Let It Be is the last uh, studio album. I knew by it the was toward the end, but I didn't know it was. Yeah. Huh. Maybe almost, that's why I like it so much. Uh, May 8th, 1970, so we're approaching the... Oh, it was almost on my birthday, that's why. The cutoff. That's why yeah. it was almost my birthday. Dude. And <clears throat> like Hey Jude, it does have like this kind of... It's got, like there's only so much you can do and you just kind right. of so, okay, kick it, it in and do that. Yeah. I think that's cool. There we go. Hey Jude is definitely towards towards the top of my list, but I kind of felt like if, if I said yesterday or Hey Jude that I'd kind of be a douchebag, even though they're both amazing songs, but it's right. like... It's yeah, but everybody loves yesterday, and everybody. I mean, everybody loves all these songs. It's like you say, like oh, I'm going to pull out Lucy in the Sky. Yeah, with I'm not a deep cuts kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, I mean, although my U2 thing, I think is kind of a deep cut. I think, I, I think we'll see. All right, we'll see. I referenced Lucy in the Sky in a song I wrote on Friday, um, and uh, who were you writing with? with? With a band called Chase Atlantic. Awesome, awesome, uh, young like rock band from Australia, and. We're wondering if we're going to get sued for it. So you know, maybe <laughs> for a just saying the, the words. Well, we say yeah in the chorus. We say Lucy in the sky. We don't even say with diamonds. So we may be. It's, we'll find out. You know what? Marvin Gaye may sue us. Yeah, right. You see, how I did that. Yeah, I did see how you do that, and he may win because and he may win because. <laughs> uh, do you think those songs are the same? This is I'm. This is not even opinion. This is the truth. Whoa, they're not. Whoa. The truth is he's going to drop the mic after he finishes exactly. the statement. The truth is. Uh, Sam Smith and those who wrote Stay With Me should sure. pay yeah. Tom Petty. Yes, absolutely. Because That's songs, obvious. you master recordings is all the things that go into the recording. But a song is a piece of intellectual property, and a song can't be described any other way than lyrics and melody. Chords in Western music are totally universal, especially rhythms and polyrhythms are yeah. universal in Western music. You can't copyright that stuff. So songs are lyric and melody. And so because of the melody... With stay with me uh, and won't back down. It's the same. Tom song. Petty should have a chunk of that song. I don't think Sam which he admitted to, which he said mm-hmm. we're paying yeah. him because yeah. it's his song. It's the yeah. song, and he wasn't completely altruistic. He's paying him because he has to, right? Yeah. But but I don't think he even should feel bad about it because Tom no. Petty songs are just in the water. Yeah, like I rip off Tom Petty every week and I don't even yeah. know it. So I mean, the Red Hot Chili Peppers <clears throat> built a career off of it, right? So I don't I don't think they should feel bad about it, but I think they should pay Tom Petty for it. But if you listen to Blurred Lines and Marvin Gaye, what's song. the song? I, I, uh, I nobody got... knows it because it's not a real song. <laughs> oh my god! They the vibe of them feels super similar. Vibe is not songwriting. Yeah, that lost the that jury got it wrong. Correct. It's not songwriting, but it is worth seven million dollars. Gosh, unbelievable! Okay. And honestly, it's I think it's really bad for the music community because if that if a cowbell and a and some semblance of a baseline is going to get you sued. For that while. Then now we're going to start making... We're already making art on a deficit now because of not being compensated very well. Now our, now we're just going to be fearful of everything that comes around and yeah. bad art comes from that. You can't operate out of fear like that. So I think it's a, a real drag. But, wow. <clears throat> so there you have it. Interesting. I, I, I could have met and performed for Paul McCartney last week. And you didn't? Whatever other thing you did was the wrong thing. Yeah, it was the wrong choice. <laughs> I know. I, I'll preface this, and I won't get too into it for some details. Oh, got but it. But I, uh, I was supposed to host and perform. I was supposed to host a show on Wednesday night at the Hollywood Improv called oh, Comedy yeah. Juice. Um, I was supposed to host that. Uh, then I ended up, uh, due to some scheduling conflicts, I ended up getting bumped. And the, the producers of that show asked me to host it on Thursday night. But I had already gotten concert tickets to go see Haim. Uh, they had a small troubadour show, and Haim is a huge upcoming band. They're yep. awesome. They're so good live. And I had tickets to go see them. Uh, so I went to see them, mm-hmm. right? And I didn't end up hosting the show at the Improv. And the next day, I found out that Paul McCartney was there. And he's been known to pop into the Improv a few times on occasion. And he was there, and he hung out with the comics and took photos with them afterwards no and all that. Way. And I was like, I uh. could have... I could have performed and hung out with Paul McCartney. Uh, and it kind of it kind of pisses me off too because like I liked all the comics on the show and like you know I I'm acquaintances with them and yeah. I know who they all are and they all posted photos with Paul McCartney and all right. that but they were all like 
taking like goofy photos like, oh, this is all three of us trying to share a urinal and stuff like that, which is funny. But if you have Paul McCartney there and there's <laughs> three comedians, you cram together single file in the hallway and reenact Abbey Road. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because if Paul McCartney's doing that, you could probably coax him into taking off his shoes and standing in a hallway. And if just, he's doing the urinal, you, know what I mean? you right. can do the Abbey like, Road. Yeah. That's the would have been the funniest photo ever that is to get amazing. three comedians and Paul McCartney like all walking, holding hands, <laughs> pretending to be like the cover of Abbey Road in a small hallway. So that really bummed me out that I couldn't. I, I that missed Paul McCartney. But the show was great. But I could have met I was good though. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Wow. Huh. Yeah. Ooh. I feel bad yeah. for you, man. Yeah. Paul McCartney. But I'm sure you had fun this. otherwise with oh, yeah. the other thing you did. So. Yeah, it was really fun. I'm sure it was. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, I'm being serious. I think it's because it's a one of it's like bucket list for yeah, it's, razzle kind yeah, of it's, I, I, what he did. Yeah. I'll tell, oh, okay. I'll tell you when All we're right. on break All and right. we'll edit it out. Just, nice. you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, hey, I do so, like your eye roll though. Like, so oh, wait. I thought that was great. No, no, yeah, I know. Sorry, guys, you can't see that at home. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna take a little break here, yeah. and then when we come back, we're gonna talk a little bit more to Dave and uh, kind of his progression from Evanescence to uh, a songwriting career. <clears throat> we'll be right back. Nice. <laughs> And we're back with uh, back. Razzle uh, America and our good friend David Hodges. While we're talking house. about music, real quick, I got to interrupt tonight. David, how, what what are your thoughts on that theme song we we had? Because that's uh, one of my favorite theme songs ever for this show. Have you heard any much? You no, I have. I I hadn't heard that. Um, <laughs> oh, this seemed. I feel like I need more context. Okay. What are, what are my thoughts on the composition of the theme song? Because our our you know Tyler's not here. And he normally talks about how he wrote the theme song. He wrote so, the theme song. He wrote he the theme song. Okay. And it's a really good theme song. And I miss you, Tyler. So if you're listening. No, we love course. him. And I'm, I I love him. I yeah. love the song. But it's a great uh, song. So I just figured, song. you know, yeah. With a songwriter here, we'd go, hell, you know. Yeah. What do you think of that? What do you think but of anyways. That? It's good. I don't know. I mean, I don't know no. any more uh, language. Sure. Right. No. I mean, if if <laughs> if I spent all day like writing <laughs> writing lyrics and pining over a story, then yeah, yeah. I, I have no lyrics and story yeah. to build off of. Yeah, I like it. Sonically, it's sound. There we go. Sound recording. I like it. Sound City. Yeah. Boom. Solid play, Tyler. We it is solid play. A, so really uh, we were talking a day before the break. <laughs> kind of gave us his background, and uh, he was in Evanescence. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so Dave, tell me, like, I know this story, but I think it's a fascinating, like, turn of way the way your life can go in a direction that you don't see it coming. Right. And how you can turn something that you think is going to be maybe one of the worst things in your life into a very positive uh, path, right? You know what I mean. So, give us a little background on right what happened, like right before the record of right before the Evanescence record came out. Right. Um, we so we got signed. Um, we had been making music together for about a year. Ben and Amy actually uh, were were dating back in high school, and we're making some music together. And I remember having a conversation with Ben uh, as I was kind of disillusioned by my stuff, and Ben was. Uh, uh, Thinking at the same time, he was like, I just got this job doing voiceover work at this place, and I didn't graduate from high school, and I've got this job that's paying me $30,000 a year. Maybe I should do this full-time and forget about the band thing. And I and I had known Ben and Amy for a couple of years at that point. And I was like, no, man, you, I feel like you guys are making good music. Um, and you should keep doing it. He was like, well, you know, if, you're, if you don't want to do your thing anymore, maybe you should join us, and maybe we should try writing together. And so that's kind of how I became part of of Evanescence. And so we spent about a year making a demo record together. Um, and that was the music that ended up getting assigned. And then I think probably two or three songs from that demo ended up making on the album itself. And then we made the, the full length album together. So Amy and Ben had kind of already started uh, creating the music, uh, just the two of them before I came along. And then we, and then that's kind of when things went the way they did. So right, <laughs> so I have been telling a story for the last ten years, mainly just because it's awkward to dig into the details of it. But for the last ten years or more, when someone's like, "Man, so you never toured with the band, or you never went out of the road? You just you just quit right before the album was finished?" And <clears throat> usually, it's I'm in a writing session with someone, and I've just met them, and they're a big fan of the band, and I don't want to dig into the whole thing of it. And I also don't want to badmouth Ben and Amy because I don't really, there's no value to that. But the truth of the story is, <clears throat> right before the album came out, 
they kicked me out of the band, which <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a different story. I got to be honest than well, the other. So the version that I have told in the past is not completely untrue, but it is that we had all three kind of grown apart from each other, and I didn't see myself wanting to continue to make Evanescence music from then on, which was true. I remember when we were making that album, I was listening <clears throat> to uh, John Mayer and Jason Mraz and singer-songwriters, and, and I loved the Evanescence album that we made, but like every song starts with a minor chord and ends with a minor chord and is between 80 and 95 beats per minute and has to be talking about the soul at some point. Like it's all, It was a very const- constricted... Uh, box that we had made the music and I was like I don't I can't do another twelve of these songs yeah. I, I would go crazy so there is some truth into the version of the story I told before but the real truth of it was right the day before mastering and pictures for everything for the album started um, <clears throat> they said we don't uh, we don't want you around anymore <laughs> so that was weird and I remember leaving the office this was at the New York office a um, <clears throat> wind up that we that this conversation took place and it was after a day day's worth of all these meetings and stuff. And I remember the time thinking like, couldn't you have told me in the morning? Like, did I have to sit through all of these meetings and then get the boot? But I walked down the street, I was walking down Madison Avenue and I looked down at my hands <clears throat> that have tattoos on them, which is frowned upon in most professional circles. I thought, Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do from now on. Like I am, I thought I was going to be making music and now I'm the guy with tattoos on his hands. Like, I guess I need to learn how to fix cars because I'm going I'm to be working at a garage for the rest of my life or something. I don't know. Um, so I leave, I leave New York. I go back home. And I spent about a year and a half back in Little Rock kind of getting my bearings and figuring out what I was going to do next and kind of started writing more songs and um, ended up getting a record deal and moving back to L.A. Um, after that. But, yeah, in that, in that first season, I thought, man, all I know how to do is make music, and all I really want to do is make music. Um, and again, the kid with the tattoos on his hands, like my options are a bit limited here. So <clears throat> I just kind of started writing songs, and Ben ended up leaving the band about six months after I did. So it's really just been Amy for the last 12 years now or so. Um, so I moved back. To, so fast forward about a year and a half later, I moved back to L.A. with this new band, and we were about to go in the studio and make an album. And uh, and the music was very different. The, that band was called Trading Yesterday, and it never ended up coming out. But um, but it was kind of exciting to be part of this process again. And Ben, my old bandmate, called me up. He and I had kind of made up since a year and a half before. And uh, he called me up, and he said, hey, there's this girl that was on a TV contest show, um, and she really likes the Evanescence record, and she has a record deal with RCA, and she wants to write some songs together. And and I was like, I, I, I'm in a new band now, writing songs with someone else for their project seems kind of weird to me. I guess I didn't totally connect in my brain that that was a job that people did. But I thought, I guess, I mean, we'll spend an afternoon and hang out and we'll see. Um, and this, that show was American Idol and that girl was Kelly Clarkson. And I remember being in a room with her and I had been, I had spent all this time with just Ben and Amy and I making music together. And then being in a room with someone else who has a different kind of artistic approach to what they're doing. And, I mean, Kelly is probably the best singer I've ever been around. She's an unbelievable singer. Um, and we wrote a song called Because of You that ended up on her Breakaway album. And the Breakaway album did remarkably well. And that song ended up kind of going around the world and um, definitely changed my life, pointed me in another direction. Um the idea that that's my first collaborating song after Evanescence. So I go from Evanescence, that record doing really well, and then this Breakaway album. I was like, this job is the best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the easiest thing in the whole world. I got to rhyme some words together, and then I can have like a Scrooge McDuck vault that I can swim in right. gold coins. Um, so anyway, that kind of pivoted me toward toward writing songs with other people. And I honestly, that's been the best the best change of my life because one day I can be in a room with a rock band and I can be in a rock band that day and then the next day I can write with a country artist and write a pop song. And so it's been fun for me to be able to do a bunch of different things and and writing with Kelly kind of helped transition into that space. And it was good because the band that I was in completely flopped. So it was nice to like, oh, this is I can do this with my time now. So And that's and what I've been doing the last 10 years. You're like the, uh, the Pete Best 
<laughs> yeah, I totally am. Uh, I totally sense. am. Yeah. There's an old yeah. skit, speaking of getting kicked out of bands and the Beatles, there's an old SNL skit, Saturday Night Live skit, with uh, uh, Johnny Lovitz, uh, Dana Carvey, and I think Phil Hartman or whatever, and they're at the Beatles, and John Lovitz is like the fifth Beatle who like plays a trumpet or whatever, and it's all <laughs> it's all about uh, them who gets to kick uh, who has to kick him has out, to kick him out. <laughs> and it's all like awesome. like Dana Carvey and all them like I don't want to do it, you do it, <laughs> and it's so funny, it's such a funny skit, but it's yeah. about kicking people out of. But band. since then, you've ridden with like Carrie Underwood and yep. Daughtry and <clears throat> Christina Perry mm-hmm. and so many amazing artists that have spanned a lot of different genres of music which is really fun and it's I feel like I'm the the one thing that I bring into writing sessions especially writing with artists is that I'm kind of focusing on like I don't know being in their world for that day especially with rock bands because I know that with Evanescence we were so particular about this is our sound and these are the types of words and metaphors that we use and this is how we construct stuff I think a lot of times songwriters come in and think let's just write a great song for somebody and it's like that's not really what it is it's more about finding the heart of who that artist is and then how to tell their story as well yeah. and, I think, and I love that stuff it's fun so. no that's awesome Yeah, it's awesome which brings us into our next category which yeah. is uh, our favorite U2 song of all time favorite going from, U2 song which maybe. these guys have spanned different genres of music since they started to now and they've, oh, man. they've reinvented themselves and stayed together mm-hmm. and yeah. been like a true band which they've, is I would say probably the longest running like actual were, band who yeah. never broke up um, yeah, they were one of the most loved bands at a time, and then most recently they were the most hated band. <laughs> totally. Yeah, Apple <laughs> Apple really made everyone hate them, which is, really, wasn't their fault. They were Apple, like, wait, I'm going to be thanks, on Apple. A Apple billion made every, <laughs> devices? That sounds awesome. The and iPod then, made everybody love them, and then the yeah, iPhone, iPhone 5 iPhone. update. Oh, made, yeah, you're right. They were them. the iPod thing. Yeah. yeah. So what is your, we'll start with you, uh, David. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is your favorite U2 song? I think... This again was a hard one. I think my favorite U2 song is Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. It's because it's just got that, like, the the content of the lyric has the sense of longing to it and there's a like a, a spirituality to it. But then there's the music, a gospel vibe to it, especially when, yeah. they, when you do the rattle and hum version of Oh, yeah. And you're like, chills every time you hear it. Like, I listen to that song. It's funny. It's, it's not my favorite. It's yeah. one of my favorites. And I get chills. If I need to go do something and like really pump myself mm-hmm. up, I'll play that song. Yeah. Because it gets you in that, like... And it's got right. that da- dotted eighth note delay, the like, signature, the ed- edge thing with the... The way the... Anyway, so it's like, it's such a quintessential sonic U2 kind of thing. And I would say, I would contend that U2 is probably the most influential band of the last 30 years because of the way that... I mean, you have Radiohead and you have Nirvana and you have a bunch of different bands that have affected music but for the last I mean they came out in what 81 or so you're the fat guy so early 80s they, the, kind fat of, guy? Um, <laughs> you're the fat guy you're the fat guy no that'd be me uh, they formed in 76 um, but the uh, their first yeah boy came out probably yeah so it's been over 30 boy, years boy came boy October and war came out through 80 to 84 yeah and yeah so for yeah 35 years I don't know their sound has really affected I think the way that music is made now more than any other I think they change with the times more than any other band and have an mm-hmm. ability to change with the times more yeah. than any other band kind of because yeah. you like if you just heard a U2 song you wouldn't go oh those guys have been playing for 35 years no that's true you wouldn't think that like where you hear an Aerosmith song you're like okay right yeah. like or like the new stuff that you know if Van Halen comes out with new stuff or whoever right. there's kind of a those guys all have a style that doesn't really leave their music yeah. you know what I mean yeah uh, where I think that U2 style, they'll be like, oh, we're going to make Zuropa. You're not going to know what the hell this is about, but yeah. it's going to be fun. Oh, it's totally And we'll true. do it, you know? And we're yeah. going to make a video like Numb, and you're like just going to have Edge's face and people <laughs> yeah. messing how with it. How in the world did the guitar player become the singer on one of the most yeah. successful singles of right. the 90s? That's crazy. Yeah. And the most iconic videos of the 90s, oh, too. Yeah. You're like, remember it, and you're like, and you never, I can't re- recall ever hearing the Edge speak. Right. Yeah. Outside I mean, of his you know, first name is the the yeah I love that <laughs> I didn't know we could do that I he's kind of like Pan, or t- was it Teller which one's the one that can't speak Teller yes Teller yeah he he's kind of like that he, so he does sing and, yeah. and he plays three chords and the truth <laughs> yeah that's Hell, what he put yes that's what he plays Razzle right. what's your favorite U two song my favorite U two song is probably this was a tough one I like a lot of their main hits and all that but I'm gonna go with Desire I like oh Desire. that's a great it's a one tune. it's a great yeah. tune it's a good tune very good rock tune yeah yeah it's um. Is a you know very rock. It's just very. It's, it's on a, the Rattle and Hum album, yeah. Is, I believe it so. Because I remember saw that movie when that movie came out. I blown away. Yeah. I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. 
Um, cause they had Helter Skelter on that record and, um, there's so many great, like Sunday Bloody Sundays on like a live version that's on the record. So, and to follow up Joshua Tree, it's like, how in the world are you going? Yeah. And then they came up. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Probably their bluesiest successful song too. Yeah. I would say so. And it, to yeah. an extent, I mean, it's, it's, uh. I don't know. It's just a great song. It's a it's fun, great. catchy tune. I like catchy, catchy tunes. No, I like yeah. catchy tunes. I like too. catchy tunes. I'm into the catchy tunes. I'm into the catchy tunes. I like, I like that about it's, you. it's 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 I I you know I used to be I, I it's a people always you know I say it a lot on both podcasts that I have because music tends to come up with you know other people. But I used to right. be in a band, and I mean, granted, I'm not nearly as talented as everybody else. But the fact of the matter is, is I think it's harder to write a really good, successful, catchy tune than it is to write you know just a, a simple you know. Introspective rock or whatever, whatever yeah. yeah. I don't know. No, I guess, I mean, Dave... I, I mean, mean, they're both hard. Don't get they're me wrong. They're all hard. I mean, yeah, you know I think mean? Dave it's would attest everything. that it's hard no matter what you're trying to write. But exactly. But, trying to write know, that pop song with pop the right song. hook and yeah. the, the people are going to gravitate to is like the hardest thing. It is tricky. And I feel like Desire's got that. I don't know. It, it does. does. No, it's it's a great song. Um, David. What do you got? I, I, my Kentucky favorite... Coleman. We got two Daves here today. Yeah, my favorite album is obviously is Joshua Tree. And my favorite song on that record is a song that never got released. It's called Running to Stand Still. Um, <laughs> it's listed as one of the saddest songs in the YouTube discography. It's a really kind of, dep- it is kind of depressing because um, it's all about these uh, housing project in Dublin near where Bono grew up. Oh, no way. Um, and like some of the lyrics are, you got to cry without weeping, talk without speaking, scream without raising your voice. But it has such a build in the song. Hmm. Um, you know, I took the poison from the poison stream, then I floated out of here, and you're like, wow. It's crazy huh. sad, but also just has the melody that just, it just kind of takes me to a different... It's weird. Like, I've never had... Thank God, never had any kind of experience with addiction or anything mm-hmm. like that. But it takes me to a place that's just a... a, a, a where I can, like, it's introspection and, yeah. you know, um, uh, meditation, I guess, when I hear the song. It's really weird, but I heard it when I was, you know, in high school... I was 16 years old when that came out, and I remember listening to that song, and I was like, wait, what is... It was this song and No Exit, which are on the back of that record, and you're like, No Exit, it's like you're not even... You don't even know what that song's about, and it's just kind of music and then some lyrics, and it's like a very odd song, but... Huh. I love that they they had like these songs on the back side of the record to go with the Where the Streets Have No Name, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, With or Without You, on the front Mm -hmm. side of the record, which are like, you know, three of the greatest, not only... Song, you two songs of all time, greatest rock songs of all time. Yeah, so no, that's true. I love that they have that kind of. They can do both those things. They can write really poppy, but also really heartfelt, mm-hmm. introspective. You know, societal stories. So. And this is my fear. I have a couple of music business soapboxes. My fear of this new age, this new YouTube, Spotify age of music, is that. There's not space for those track sevens anymore. Yeah. Because when we were, when I was a kid, man, I sound old when I say that. When I was a kid, I had 15 bucks every month or couple of months to spend on buying an album. And so that just became the album that I lived with. So whether I made a good purchase or not, I knew that record backwards and forward. I knew all the tracks on it. I knew why it was sequenced the way that it was because I kind of lived with the whole experience. And often it was the, it was where the streets had no name that brought me to buy the album, but it was running to stand still. That's the song that you end up loving the most right. off of it. And I just I'm nervous that there's not space for that anymore because you're only going to go to the obvious, the songs that are most accessible now. And so that means as a creator of content that I, there's no incentive for me to write that introspective song that I think is really valuable for the listener. I think so. Devil's Advocate, though, to get on my soapbox. Mm -hmm. I like it. um, That's what it used to be. The music industry used to be all singles. Yeah. You know, when you had Presley and even the Beatles and and Sinatra and all that, you had a two-minute, 20-second song that -hmm. could fit on, you know, uh, the – the smaller record, the forty-five. I'm, the forty-five, 45. is what I'm. I'm right. It was escaping me. Um, and you had, of course, you know the forty-five. You know, of course, I do. Uh, it's because he's forty-five, ladies and gentlemen. Almost uh, <laughs> jerk. Uh, but that's. I mean, that's what it was. It was you had you. It was a. It was the jukebox single, mm-hmm. and it was the radio play. It had to be. You know, because they used to play on uh, before FM. I believe they used to. Part of the rule was you could be on AM also. Mm-hmm. But part of the 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 radio regulations was it needed to be a certain length. Yeah. And that's what it was. It was all singles. It was like you don't write a song that isn't going to sell for a single. 
Right. You know what I mean? Uh, but, but I, I think, think that was, but part of that was the technology of the time. Correct. How you could distribute music. Correct. Like they couldn't put, like Elvis didn't have a, 12 songs Correct. that he could put out on a record because they were like, wait, he can record this song right now and we can make him a giant star. Correct. But in theory, um, he didn't have 12 songs at the time, but, and, and a lot of bands don't. No, that's, and, that's, and that's what a lot of the yeah. record is, is filler. That's why, you know, when you have people like Katy Perry or mm-hmm. whatever, or Lady Gaga or, you know, Swift or so, yeah. you know, any of these huge, you know, uh, you have nine singles on a song on right. a CD, and that's because that's they're all relevant. But even so now, I mean, there's probably, what, 15 bands that can release a record that has three, four singles yeah. on it, and they wrote, you know, those three, four singles. I mean, U2 and all them even, you know, U2 and the Beatles and, you know, Aerosmith that we're going to get into, they used to all have, you know, at least three or four singles per, you know. Yeah. And, that's, and you release it each quarter, then you got a new, and that's how come, like, a lot of the old bands had so many records coming out because it was, you know, all. Yeah. I think that's how it used to be. I don't think it was good for it. I think it, I think it got better, though, yeah. with, the, with the addition of having more content. And yeah, most of the albums that I bought when I was in high school, I was disappointed because it's like, man, this sucks. But then the ones that were really gold and you could right. tell the band really cared about the process. Yeah. I think the other thing about the, the 45s when the music started was you had a, like uh, 95% of people were one-hit wonders. They had yeah. one great song yeah. that played yeah. for a year on the radio and that Very was it. True. And then, I mean, then they're the done. Mo- the Motown one and they don't have the people that yeah. were longevity. You know, they had the longevity of a yeah. lot of bands now. It's true. And people who can stay around because Very they true. can write great songs that aren't going to get released. The people That the fans... Because you build the fan base, right? And you're yeah. not just going to build fan bases with Shake It Off and, right. you know, uh, and Poker Face. You know what I mean? That's yeah. just not what it is. Yeah. So, um, actually, guys, you know, we're going to run out of time. Yeah. We're going to run out of time today. It's the first time I think we've only ever done two. Only two. But I thought it was really important to yeah. to talk to you more because I think, you know, getting that those personal stories from guests, it's like people <laughs> don't know that information. And I think, yeah. you know, we'll save the other topic for later. Yeah. Do we want to we'll, do a speed round and just get it? Send it, send it, is it? Uh, keep the three? All right, go. Sure. Go. Favorite Aerosmith Fair, song. Favorite David. Aerosmith song. We're not even going to talk about it. Shoot. Uh, I almost said Dream On, but I think Janie's Got a Gun. It's a masterpiece. Okay. I'm going to go with uh, uh, Walk This Way only because they wrote that song after watching Young Frankenstein when he's like, Walk This Way. No way. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. That's that's great. I'm going to say Dream On is my yeah. favorite. Awesome. I mean, because it's, it's a great Aerosmith song. And, well, you know, guys, uh, write on our comments. Tell us your favorite songs yeah. of these three great bands. Uh, we're going to put all of uh, David's. Uh, all of his social media stuff, his website, and you can check him out and see the records nice. and stuff he's done. Amazing stuff. Go check out uh, some records and uh, you know help uh, help great songwriters keep writing songs. Uh, nice. We had a great episode. So Quality. much. Thanks, Sam, uh, for all your help. Yep. Uh, you. Razzle's been a pleasure again, as always. Likewise. likewise. Zach, yes. Ty, we, we miss, miss and love you. Mm-hmm. We can't wait to have you back. Uh, David, thanks so much, everybody. Thank David, you. awesome. Thank you. Good times. Like awesome. It. Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.